Huckabee. Senator Marsha Blackburn fights for your internet privacy. Greg Jarrett reveals the witch hunt in Washington and the legendary Charlie Daniels perform. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Thank you so very much. We've got a great audience and a terrific terrific show lined up for you. And boy, oh boy, are we going to have a little fun. In fact, we're going to have so much fun, we're going to get it started with something that I'm pretty sure you've never seen ever on network television before. Hey, do you want a job in Washington, D.C. these days? Let me tell you about the job that you ought to shoot for. No experience necessary. It's a job that'll make you a hero to the media. It allows you to be treated like royalty by certain members of Congress, and you really don't even have to show up for work. In fact, it's kind of like being a reporter without ever having seen firsthand any of the stories that you're reporting on. You know what it is? It's the job of the whistleblower. You see, tonight, I'm teaching our entire studio audience right here in Nashville how to get on this incredible opportunity to make history, change history, heck, even create history out of absolutely nothing. Yes, you too can be a whistleblower. You know, there are members of Congress and media personalities who are desperate to overturn the election results from 2016. And they tried whistleblowing over a 12-year-old videotape of then-private citizen Donald Trump saying some pretty raunchy and disgusting stuff. And hey, it wasn't good, and no one defended it. But most people who voted for now President Trump didn't do so because they thought he was a Sunday school teacher. They did it because he wouldn't force the real Sunday school teachers and the pastors and priests to submit to government control of their beliefs about the sanctity of life or the biblical model of marriage. Now, those voting for Trump heard the so-called whistleblower, but they weren't electing Donald Trump to teach their children. They elected him so the government wouldn't tell the parents what they would teach their children, or their church, or their mosque, or their synagogue. Now, after Donald Trump was actually elected, the D.C. establishment went nuts. They started immediately calling for impeachment before he was even sworn in. And they tried to do some whistleblowing about Russian collusion, obstruction of justice, and they even tried to whistleblow if someone stayed in a Trump hotel anywhere in the world. By the way, they spent over 35 million of your tax dollars and two years on a team of highly partisan special prosecutors looking for a whistleblower. All they got was nose blowers. And in the end, they got nothing. Nada. That sound out there, by the way, was someone blowing his nose. That's just so you know. <laughs> and then the president had a phone call with the newly elected president of Ukraine, a former comedian. And that kind of makes sense because the Ukrainian government was so corrupt before, it was itself a joke. Now, the new Ukrainian president was elected to drain his own swamp. After the call, there emerged a whistleblower. But the whistleblower didn't actually hear the call. In fact, after tonight, I won't hear anything, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, he heard about it from some pals in the deep state of bureaucrats and highly placed spooks from the intel community who hate President Trump, but still take a paycheck from him. And they told the so-called whistleblower who in turn told TV camera hog Congressman Adam Schiff and Speaker Nancy Pelosi about what he or she, because we don't know who it was, what that person learned second and third hand. So it's like letting someone help referee and blow the whistle 
at a New Orleans Saints game that he never actually saw, but he heard about it from some friends who really hate the Saints. And by the way, if you've seen what's happened to the Saints at times, even the refs at the game didn't see much either. Because <laughs> it turns out the whistleblower was actually connected to Joe Biden, which neither Schiff nor Pelosi bothered to mention. Now there's more, but I think you get the drift. To be a whistleblower, you don't have to actually see or know anything. You just have to believe something really, really bad about Donald Trump. And then you can be the toast of the town in Washington, D.C. So being a whistleblower, it's an easy job and probably will get you a book deal and maybe a TV contract on the bottom-feeding Catfish News Network, otherwise known as CNN. <laughs> All for being, that's right, a whistleblower. Well, you know him as a Fox News legal analyst and the author of the number one best-selling book, The Russia Hoax. His new book digs even deeper into exposing the deep state, and it's called Witch Hunt, the story of the greatest mass delusion in American political history. Please welcome back to the show our good friend, Greg Jarrett. Greg, welcome. Good to see you. Thank you. Got to be honest, I'm worried about these people blowing whistles all night long. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I love monologue because, it, 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 you know, the day the story broke about the whistleblower, yeah. I wrote a column that said, <laughs> I wrote a column that said the whistleblower is not a whistleblower. Yeah. He's not a whistleblower under the law. If you read the law, it's got to be, you have to be blowing the whistle at intelligence activity, which this wasn't, and you have to blow the whistle on somebody in the intelligence community. Well, the president's not in the intelligence community. They report to him. This new book called Witch Hunt, what you talk about is that the origin of this was not just some people who love their country and trying to make sure it was okay. These were people on a mission, right. a mission to destroy an elected president. Right. I mean, is that, is that a fair assessment? Did, oh, has totally. that really happened? Yeah, no, they wanted to, uh, first they wanted to stop him from becoming president. Then, once he was unexpectedly elected, they wanted to drive him from office and undo the election results. Uh, and people always ask, well, why would they do this? It's, Let's it's, talk about who they are. They are, you know, a lot of people call them the deep state. I yeah. call it a malignant force. That's how mm. I open the book. These are people. Mm. Well said. Are, thank you. These are people in the, the intelligence community, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the State Department. They are people of like mind. They are all addicted to power. Trump was a threat to them because he promised to drain the swamp. The swamp didn't want to be drained. You know, pow <laughs> power in Washington is like crack cocaine. You know, I mean, once you start, you, you don't want to stop. You don't want to give it up. You'll do anything to make sure that it keeps going. Greg, there are thousands of people in the intelligence community and in law enforcement, Department of Justice, FBI. What percentage are the bad guys? Because I don't want to disparage all of those people. There are some fantastic public servants, people who have sacrificed uh, really their entire lives to serve this oh, country. So, uh, you know, I know we're not talking about everyone in the intel community, not everyone in the FBI or Justice Department. What would be your guess of the percentage of people that we ought to be worried about that have really stepped across the line and threatened this republic of it, ours? It's a small cabal at the top of, at the time, the FBI, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, others as well, with a like-minded cabal at the CIA headed by John Brennan and the director of national intelligence, uh, James Clapper. I mean, I name names in the book, and I go through in meticulous detail their uh, malicious, insidious acts, their insipid lies and deceptions, and the corruption that was so endemic in their administration of their agencies. Uh, Adam Schiff, for over two years, said, we have the evidence. And he kept talking about that he had the evidence. Yeah, and then did. the Mueller report came out and they found out he didn't have anything. Right. So when he says now that it's, it's the Ukraine situation, why shouldn't we trust him? 
You know, Adam Schiff is the professor emeritus of lies. And so this is a man, you know, if Democrats are really serious about what they're doing, the first thing they need to do is dump Schiff. By the way, do you think that the attorney general will get to the bottom of what really happened? And will people be held accountable? Because this really truly has been a threat to our, really our system of government. You know, I have great confidence in William Barr, the Attorney General. He cares about one thing, upholding the rule of law. That nobody is above the law, nobody's below the law, and he's assigned probably the best prosecutor in the United States in terms of getting at corruption in U.S. Attorney John Durham, uh, who, I live in Connecticut, he's my U.S. Attorney up there. This is a man who has put FBI and CIA people behind bars. He will get to the bottom of it. One of the things that I admire most about your writing is that you document. You don't just say, I heard, I think, I believe. Right. It may have happened or somebody told me. You cite the source, you quote the source, you footnote the source, and it's what makes this book so powerful. If people want to understand all of these myriad of things that they're hearing, I highly recommend that they get this book, Witch Hunt, by Greg Jarrett. It is a must-read new book called Witch Hunt, available now on Amazon. And you can read a free sample at his website, thegregjarrett.com. It's on your screen, so jot it down. And follow The Greg Jarrett on Facebook. And on Twitter, it's just simply at Greg Jarrett, two Gs in Greg. Delight to have him here. Keith Bilbrey has no delusions at all about the rest of the show. We're going to let him tell you all about it. Well, here we go. Coming up, Andy Ann's founder and inspiring author Ann Byler, United States Senator Marsha Blackford, and country music superstar Charlie Daniels sings on Huckabee. Since its founding in 1970, Samaritan's Purse has been providing spiritual and physical aid to victims of war and natural disasters, disease, famine, poverty, and persecution. And they've done it in more than 100 countries, and they've done it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Why not partner with them today in meeting critical needs for victims of war and disaster, famine? And if you've got a heart for the hurting, there just simply isn't a better place to express that love than by calling Samaritan's Purse or visit their website and then share a generous gift because you'll be helping to heal those who are in physical as well as emotional need. Well, my next guest started out twisting some pretzels at a farmer's market to help her fund her husband's free counseling service. Auntie Anne's grew into one of America's most successful woman-owned franchises. But through it all, she was hiding a personal tragedy that she shares in her brand new book. It's called... The Secret Lies Within. Please welcome the real Auntie Anne herself, Anne Byler. Anne, thank you for coming tonight. So happy to have you here. Life has not always been, uh, let's say, a bowl of cherries. Uh, there have been some tough moments in Anne Byler's life, and it, it goes back, you lost a daughter to death when she was just a, an infant. That had to have been more than devastating. Well, my sweet Angie, she was 19 months old when mm. she went to be with Jesus, and it happened on a Monday morning, and she was taking her morning walk to my mom's house, and uh, in a split second, she was killed instantly when my sister uh, drove over her with the bobcat. Uh, um, she was hauling oh. sand for my dad at that time. And you know, it changed my life. Trauma changes our lives forever. Yes. And as Angie made her ascent into heaven that day, it's been many years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Hmm. I began my slow and very gradual descent into this world of spiritual confusion and emotional pain because I was confused. I thought that life is good and God is harsh. Hmm. And um, that morning changed everything for me and it really took me into this world that I knew nothing about. But that was the beginning of a deep, deep spiritual challenge and I think one of the most powerful things in the book is that you talk very candidly about how someone you went to for help during this time of your life mm -hmm. took advantage of you. Mm -hmm. 
After Angie was killed, the grief was more than I could bear. My husband and I, who'd been very closely, we, were, we just had a great marriage, and we began to just um, separate emotionally and in every way. And there was the Great Wall of China between us. Mm -hmm. And my pastor came to me about five months later, and he said, if you'll come talk to me in my office, he said, I'd like to, you know, just talk. I know you're not doing well. So that was really an answer to prayer for me. And before I left his office that day, he took advantage of me and took me into a world of sexual abuse for seven years. Oh, my goodness. That, um, out of but, your grief. Out of my grief. And, and so the responsibility that I take about that is that I decided that day that I was never going to tell anyone and that this would be my secret all the way mm. to the grave. At the end of all that, I uh, discovered that my other two sisters were also... Uh, he was also abusing them, and that's their story to tell, but it's also in my book. And, uh, and also my youngest daughter was being abused by him. You, you just held it in for, for many years. You, you started finally trying to work through it, but there was one thing that had to be done, and that's openly dealing with it. And I was alone. I was going to church every Sunday. I was pretending like everything's just fine. If you would ask me how I'm doing, yeah. my standard answer was, I'm just fine. Hallelujah. Hmm. And nobody knew, but I was dying on the inside. And... Um, there were three things that I discovered during that time. There were three types of confession. One is the bedside prayer, which we all do, which mm. is our wonderful privilege that we can do that as believers. The second was journaling, talking about my feelings on paper. And the third one was found in James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another mm. and you'll be healed. And I didn't know about that verse at that time, but um, seven years into this, God spoke to me and he said, I want you to get up off your knees. I want you to go tell Jonas, your husband, wow. what's going on in your life. Well, it's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to burden him. I didn't want him to know because I knew it would devastate him. And when we're in this place of pain, we believe lies. Yeah. Really, that's all we believe, lies. And the three lies that I believe was I'm, I'm unlovable, I am unchangeable, and I am unforgivable. Mm. I knew that for sure. And I knew if I told Jonas, being raised in the Amish and Mennonite culture, that he would divorce me, I, no doubt. And um, so I got up off my knees and I got my little blue pickup truck and we lived in Troop, Texas at that time. And I went to his uh, office, he was a body, had a body shop. And when I went to the office and, and I had two lines of the confession that I made to him, and when I said to him what I did, I looked him straight in the eyes and I saw the look and I'm like, I turned around and walked away because mm. I knew that he is devastated and I knew that he was gonna come home and tell me that he's gonna divorce me. Today, I'm grateful to say there is a happy ending to this story. I'm waiting to hear it. <laughs> that's, that's the good news. The, the, the happy ending is that we're married 51 years. In September the 14th, I have a wonderful man. Wonderful. And the good, the good news is that that one simple confession that I made that was hard and it was harsh and it was humiliating, that one confession changed the trajectory of my entire life. Mm. God began to redeem me, my family, and then out of that redemption plan, he created Auntie Anne's. Uh -huh. And if that confession would never have been made, there would be no Auntie Anne's. Can you imagine a world without Auntie Anne's? I can't, I can't even imagine. I mean, really, right? You know, I think everyone watching the show is going to go out and confess something because they think, exactly. what is the world going to miss if I don't do this? This is the book. It's called Thanks. The Secret Lies Within. You need to get it. You can learn more on her website, AuntieAnnBeiler.com. It's right on your screen. And there you're also going to find her other books, her blog, free newsletter, and a whole lot more. Connect with her on Facebook at Auntie Ann Beiler and on Twitter and Instagram at Auntie Ann B. Now, Keith... Bilby's over there about to turn himself into a pretzel. He's going to blow the lid off the secrets of our show tonight. But please, Keith, don't twist the truth For around. pretzel, I will. That's the illusions of Ken Hartley. Later, we visit the Musicians Hall of Fame. Then country music star Charlie Daniels sings on Huckabee. Next week, Senator Rand Paul takes on socialism, and Andrew Brunson speaks out for the persecuted.
Well, if you drop by my daily news and commentary site, mikehuckabee.com, this week, you would know that the Brexit deal that the UK agreed to with the European Union has included a hairbrush and hairspray for Boris Johnson. It's part of the deal. <laughs> and there's also some serious stuff about Syria, our president, Nancy Pelosi, and the slate of Democratic presidential candidates, not to mention my free newsletter delivered directly to your email inbox twice a day when you sign up. Now, it's more fun than a barrel of congressmen shouting for impeachment. And while you're at it, follow me on Twitter at GovMikeHuckabee. I guarantee you'll enjoy my tweets, twits, and my quotes, all of those things. <laughs> my next guest is one of the most gifted and versatile people I've ever worked with. He goes with me on our Israel trips, and he is beloved by our guest. He's a terrific singer, actor, inspiring speaker. He's a best-selling author. But before we get into all of that, he's going to do something that I most love about him. He's going to share his most amazing skill as a magician and illusionist. Would you welcome my friend, Ken Hartley. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great having you here. Oh, it's an honor to be here. I, I'm a big kid when it comes to magic things, so I'm going to turn it over to you and let you take it away. What are you going to do? Well, I tell you, to do this, I need some help from somebody mm. in the audience. Uh, <laughs> you got lots of people who want to volunteer. Oh, right here. Would you help me? I want to get somebody okay. else close. That's great. Thank you so much. Come right up here. Tell me your name. Gina. Say it again. Gina. Gina. This is Gina, everybody. Give her a big hand. Yay, Gina. So we have her, and I think we're ready to go. Okay. okay. Uh, Gina, have you ever done this before on stage with the Delusions? Ever been up here before no. with a magician? No. Never. No. So this is your first time? Good, mine too. All right, here we go. <laughs> Hold that. Everybody out here, watch closely.
have you been doing this? When did you start? I was, well, my grandparents gave me a magic set when I was eight years old. And I didn't tell any of my friends that I did any kind of magic until I was 22. So <laughs> I've been doing it now. Yeah, because the goal in middle school and high school for me was to be below the radar. So well, you, you must have been at that I, point. I was. And were, they, were they shocked when they later found out that you were a, a very accomplished illusionist? They were. They actually had me come back and do a high school reunion. No kidding. And they said, hey, we heard that you did this. Would you come back and do that? And so I actually did that effect and several others uh, at a high school reunion, and they went crazy. Is there real magic, or is there an illusion, and you create the sense that something is happening. What, what I do is completely illusion. It's, uh, it's stage effects, it's sleight of hand, and uh, for some of the effects that I've done in Israel, it's sleight of mind. Uh, we're playing with people's minds. Are you saying that a mind like mine is so, so simple <laughs> that it's easy to be manipulated? Is that what you're saying? Then, Ken, this interview is over. I would never <laughs> dream of saying that to you. <laughs> uh, you do leadership conferences with John Maxwell. You've been on the stage with everyone that I can think of that does motivational speaking, and that's a big part of your life, is, is helping businesses, corporations, and churches to understand principles of leadership. You're an illusionist. You do all these things. And now you've got this book called Leadership Illusions, which I think is awesome. 21 things that people believe about leadership that aren't true. So there are things that people think our leadership principles, tell me some. Leadership is about influencing from wherever you are. So when people tell me, I'm not really a leader, Ken, I don't really, I say, yes, you are. There's people in our lives every single day that we influence. And if we allow ourselves to be a positive influence in their life, we are leading from wherever, the middle, the end of the pack, or the front, it doesn't matter. But it doesn't, the title is irrelevant with all of that. Before we get away, I wanna hear another one. What is another thing about uh, leadership people believe that isn't true? What you don't know won't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> what you don't know will bite you very, very ah. hard. That's something. And then a uh, common one in a lot of places is just leave it alone. It'll get better. And that's not true. It's absolutely not true. Uh, if you take a brand new Cadillac, go out and buy it, and then leave it in your front yard for 30 years, and then come back and tell me how that is, it will not be good because anything you leave alone like that will not get better. Well, the same is true of us. We have to be intentional about our personal growth every single day. There's something we have to be pouring into ourselves. As a person who works with these corporations and talks to them, I tell them, if you don't grow, your corporation is not going to grow. It starts individually, and it starts with the leaders in the corporation. They have to grow, and then the rest of their corporations do too. This is fun. Good. And I think people are going to love it, especially pastors and people who lead anything, whether it's a business or maybe even just lead a family, fathers and mothers. That's leadership. And they'll find some great lessons. And, and I know you're available to come and make speeches and do conferences and all sorts of stuff. I was going to say, Ken is available to inspire and amaze your company, your church, your group. And you can order his just-released CD of wonderful music. And then this brand new book we've been talking about, Leadership Illusions. To do all that, visit leadershipillusions.com. You also find him on Facebook at Ken Hartley Speaking and on Twitter at Ken Hartley. Hey, Keith, why don't you tell us what we have next? But I don't want any illusions. I want the truth, the truth and nothing but the truth. Couldn't do it if I tried like that. Up next, Senator Marsha Blackburn tackles U.S. border security. Then we go to Nashville Musician Hall of Fame. And country music legend Charlie Daniels joined us on Huckabee. Just last year, Tennessee voters made Representative Marsha Blackman their new senator. And in that short time, she's already become a leader on a number of issues, including ending child trafficking at the border and leading the Senate Judiciary Committee's Tech Task Force. It is a real honor to welcome back to our show, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming back. Thank you all. Yeah. I want to get into what's going on in Washington because people outside of the bubble of D.C., are having a hard time understanding what on earth do the Democrats think that they're going to accomplish by going after the president? You know, it is really frustrating because while they're doing this inquiry, not a proceeding, but an inquiry, uh, and not taking a vote in the House, 
What they're doing is not putting attention on things that need to be done, like securing the southern border, making the Tax Cuts and Job Act of 2017 permanent, um, making certain that we give you all the ability to protect your privacy online, and that we hold big tech accountable, and making certain that we don't have Google and Yahoo and Twitter and Facebook trying to influence voters in the 2020 elections like it has shown they did in 2016. And I don't know about you, Governor, but I hear from people every day that are sick and tired of seeing conservatives censored online. But it is wrong for these companies to act like that they're judge and jury and they decide who hears what you or I have to say. But what can you do? The first thing we're looking at and reviewing is privacy, online privacy. We want to make certain that you own your data online, that you are in control of what I call your virtual you. Hmm. And that if you want to share your information, you give that consent. Likewise, when a platform has a breach and you got a notification that there was a breach, we want to be certain that you're told within a short period of time that it's not two or three years later. And we want one set of rules for the entire internet ecosystem, and we want to exercise preemption. Where's the hammer? What can we do to say to the tech companies that if I do a Google search on Senator Blackburn, and instead of giving me a, an objective insight into what you're doing and who all your uh, maybe investigating. I get the only, only the most negative stories that have ever been written about you because Google has, has decided they don't like you. You don't want to take away free speech. But at the same time, if somebody is going to say, we are the town square, then they need to be an open and honest forum with a cop on the beat. And another thing, Governor, if they're going to have say, we're a news service, then they need a news director, just mm -hmm. like a TV station or uh, a newspaper that is working with content, then they need to make certain they have those professionals who will curate that news and be sure that it's not hearsay or that it's not some rumor mill, but it is actual, factual news. I don't think these people, quite frankly, that run these tech companies, I don't think they're ever going to self-regulate themselves into fairness. I, I think it's going to require, unfortunately, this is, this is why we're doing legislation. This is why we are doing the task force and working through in an orderly process and doing this in a bipartisan manner. And I think that's important for us to do as we look at privacy and say, we're going to give you, the consumer, the tools. As we look at data security, and say, Big Tech, we're going to hold you responsible. You have to provide notice. You have give the FTC the ability to do enforcement and penalties, and then move to prioritization and censorship, and those things that we as conservatives really cherish. So do you have some optimism that this may be one of those breakthrough areas of legislation where Democrats and Republicans could actually put aside all the crazy stuff going on yes. and say, this is important to everybody. Yes, and I've had several Democrats join me uh, as I've written letters and trying to work with the agencies to protect our children and to stop human trafficking online. Yeah. I mean, this is something that is, uh, we, we are just working every single day uh, trying to make certain that we end this human trafficking and sex trafficking, that we stop this transporting of individuals online. It is heartbreaking. And how sad it is that today we have more individuals on the face of the earth in slavery than ever. And in many of them are being transported and marketing, marketed online. We need to... Uh get a promise that you'll come back, because I want to talk more sometime when we can get you back about the human trafficking issue. Most Americans have no idea how That's widespread right. 
how tried. devastating it is. It is great having you here. I'm delighted Thank to be so here with you. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. My thanks to Senator Marsha Blackburn for joining us. You can contact her online at blackburn.senate.gov. It's there on your screen. You can also follow her on social media at Marsha Blackburn. Keith Bilbrey has all the latest news for this show, and he's going to tell you about it right now. Coming up, we visit the Musicians Hall of Fame. Then country music superstar Charlie Daniels performs on Huckabee. That is the music of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Give them a big hand. We love them. Okay, so where can you find a place that honors great acts and musicians like Stevie Wonder, George Jones, Bob Dylan, Otis Redding, Earth, Wind & Fire, Elvis, Chicago, and Merle Haggard? Just to name a few, and I've just named a few. Well, I'll tell you where it is. It's at the place that we're going to take you right here in Nashville. It is the Musicians Hall of Fame. I personally think it is one of the finest and most incredible museums in all of America, and it is one of the coolest places I've ever been. Here is my tour of this fascinating museum and interview with its founder, Joe Chambers. When I think about this place, I mean, I could spend days here because there's so much to see. This is one of the coolest places I've ever seen. You have stuff here that anyone who's grown up with music will have their jaw on the ground. James Jamerson's bass guitar is in this museum. How do you get stuff like that? Uh, I use my kids' inheritance, <laughs> pretty much so. You well, know. it was well worth the expenditure. Well, I hope they think so. <laughs> when the museum started collecting items, was there anything that was the holy grail? I was a songwriter, and my mentor was Billy Sherrill, who was songwriter of the century for BMI, produced all the big Tammy Wynette, George Jones, Charlie Rich records, so forth. And um, so Billy would let me hang out in the studio with him. And that's how I got to know the Nashville A-team players. And um, the, there was a guy named Pete Drake who played steel guitar. And, and Pete, I felt if we got Pete Drake in the museum, he would be the poster child for studio musicians because Pete played on He Stopped Loving Her Today for George Jones, Stand By Your Man for Tammy Wynette. One of the things you do in this incredible facility, Joe, is you pay tribute to all the musicians that we've all heard, but many people haven't seen. Yeah, when we first started, I have to tell you, it was an uphill because um, a lot of people would come in and they were expecting to see the big singers. And, yeah. and, and we're, and some of them were kind of disappointed, to be honest about it. But now, you know, if you go through, you'll see that we have, you know, Hendrix and, and Glenn Campbell. But the reason that they're in here is not for being a singer. It's because, like, Glenn Campbell was one of the top session musicians yeah. who also had to be an unbelievable singer. Phenomenal guitar player that yeah. people sometimes didn't even realize about him. Yes, he played on Strangers in the Night for Frank Sinatra, as well as on so many Beach Boy records, yeah. you know. So how hard is it to get people to let go of those instruments to put it in a museum that is dedicated to the musicians? Well, a lot of times, that's the last thing that maybe that family has that may be of value. Yeah. Like Lightning Chances bass that you were talking yeah. about that was um, used on Hank Sr.'s last session. I, I bought the bass, you know, from Lightning. Lightning's son came in and he's in tears, you know, and he's like, a lot of people when they come in here, they, they see a bass guitar, but that that put food on our table and clothes yeah. on my back, yeah. you know? And it's, it carries a deep meaning more than just being used on a record, you know, to, the, to these people. I mean, it's, it's their connection to their loved one, you know? And they want to make sure that it's going to be done in a respectful way, you know, as well. Well, let's, uh, let's go take a look around. Right. What do you say? Sounds great. All right. I love that place, and you will too. Be sure and visit the Musicians Hall of Fame when you come to Nashville. And of course, you want to come to Nashville. It's the place you can celebrate the legacy of great American music from every genre there is. And by the way, if you're in town next week, 
Why not attend this year's Musicians Hall of Fame concert and induction ceremony? They're going to be welcoming in greats like Alabama, Don Everly, Felix Cavalieri, the Musicians of Muscle Shoals Studio, and many more. Don't visit Nashville unless you plan to go to the Musicians Hall of Fame. You can find out more at musicianshalloffame.com. Heath, I'm pretty sure that no matter how much fun we've had so far, the best is yet to come. Why don't you tell us who's on deck? You are right. Next, the legendary Charlie Daniels honors our veterans and performs with Mike on Huckabee. Charlie Daniels has been defining what we know as country and Southern rock music for 60 years. I doubt there's anyone in America that hasn't heard him play The Devil Went Down to Georgia. But greater than Charlie's contribution to music is his amazing support of our U.S. military and our veterans. He founded the Journey Home Project to help veterans find purpose after their years of military service. And recently, the second annual Charlie Daniels Patriot Award Dinner for that project was hosted right here in Nashville. Take a look. Tonight is our, I guess you'd say our major fundraiser for the year for the Journey Home Project. The night is about fun and about education. We want people to know what the what we're doing, but we also want them to know what, to see the effects of, of what we're doing. We'll be showing some of the ramifications, some of the things we've been doing. We try to honor the people who have really gone above and beyond to help our veterans. If some of us folks don't you know, step up privately and do some things for these veterans and for our, our, our servicemen and women. Who's going to do it? Journey Home Project was uh, founded to try to help our men and women who are coming back from the mil their military service, most of them from combat, to reposition themselves back into civilian life. We give them a sword to go over and fight and to serve our country. And when they come back, you kind of take that sword away from them. What organizations like the Journey Home Project and a lot of the other uh, veteran service organizations out there do is they give them a sword back and give them a purpose to be, a, again, be a part of something that's bigger than themselves and give them that sense of service again. Whatever we can do to, to make those families know that, hey, you know what, no matter what happens, we've got your back, that's a big deal. I promise you it is. And as I say on stage every night, only two things protect America. It's the grace of Almighty God and the United States military. It has always been that way, will always be that way as long as America stays a free and sovereign nation. It is my great honor to have right here in the studio, Charlie Daniels, the one and only. Charlie, so glad to have you here, my friend. I'm amazed, 60 years in the business and you're still out there performing over 150 dates a year. Absolutely unbelievable. Nobody's working that hard. Well, we do about 110. We've cut back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, you're a real slacker, Charlie. Yeah. Only doing 110 <laughs> dates a year. But you know, you've maintained such a fan base. Uh, you could retire if you wanted to, but you don't want to. I have no desire to retire. I just, you know, I think, uh, the people that I, I admire a lot, like little Jimmy Dickens, who entertained into his late 90s, mm. I think I think you need something to get you out of bed in the morning, something to put your, your heart and soul into and something to keep your interest up. With me, that's music. It's entertaining people. And as long as the good Lord's willing, I am. <laughs> One of the things you have given so much of your time and personal investment in has been the Journey Home Project. Mm -hmm. uh, something for our veterans. We just saw a little bit about it. Yeah. This is something, it's not just a, uh, some charity you throw your name at. You are really sleeves up in this. How come? Well, I, I am a child of the Second World War. I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina. It's a, it's a seaport town. We had a shipyard there that built Liberty ships, and it was a, a place where boats picked up cargo, war cargo, and took it across the Atlantic Ocean to our troops over there. 
Only two things protect America, it's the grace of God and the United States military. And I grew up knowing that there was somebody, no matter how dark the days got in the Second World War when the battles were going bad and then the casualties were high, we knew there was somebody out there that was saying, to get to them, you got to come through me and that ain't going to happen. And that's, <laughs> that's the people who stand between us and our enemies. And we can never, ever do enough for our veterans. You know, it just occurred to me, um, President Trump will finish his next term, and uh, maybe we ought to draft Charlie Daniels to run for president. <laughs> nah. I think that's a great idea. I'll leave politics to you. <laughs> yeah, you see what he did for me. In addition to the phenomenal music that you put out, you've got a brand new CD. It's called Bo Weevil's Songs in the Key of E. <laughs> Bunch of new tunes on here. <laughs> well, if you notice the uh, songs in the key of E. Yeah. Uh, as I wrote those songs, they all seemed like favored the key of E to be sung in. So I thought, what the heck? I just call it songs in the key of E. <laughs> but that was a fun project I did with a friend of mine, James Stroud, who I know you know. I know. He's a great and, producer uh, yeah, and a great drummer. He, we had been wanting to do a project together for a long time, so we got together and did that. It's a, it's a pretty neat little piece of music. I oh, it's a lot. great piece of music, you. Charlie. You, you're being too modest. But I want to talk about uh, the two different books you've done. One is called Let's All Make the Day Count. It's kind of a day-by-day uh, almost just thought for the day. Yes, it is. It, it's a feature I started on my Twitter account a long time ago. I yeah. always do a little thing, do little sayings and do little things. Let's all make the day count. And that's what we do. We have to take it a day at a time, make that day count. And then when tomorrow comes, when the day becomes tomorrow, make that day count. Now, the other book I want to mention, because I think the title says it all, and it's really, I, I think, a testimony of how you entertain people. It says, Never Look at the Empty Seats. It's a memoir of Charlie Daniels. A great reminder that when you go out to perform, you don't care whether there's 15 people or 15,000, yeah. you're gonna give it your all. Well, I learned that early in my career, because when you're a young musician, you're gonna have some empty seats. You play anywhere you can for anybody that will come and listen to you. And if you walk on stage and say, well, I don't feel good, I'm just gonna slough for this, you know, and mess around, bad idea because you impress the people that are out there. The next time you come back to town, they'll bring somebody with them, and that's how you build up a following. That's how you have a career. Your voice is a voice of affirmation to the greatness of this country, and we just need more people celebrating America. We need more celebrities who celebrate America. Well, and thank you. You know the funny thing about it, Governor, is there are a lot of people that are like-minded that are out around this country. I, I travel this country coast to coast and border to border every year. And the support for our military, patriotism in America, and appreciation for America amongst people in, around this country, the working class of people, the older people, is there. We've got to pass this on to our children. That's the main thing we've got to do. Well, if we don't get to vote for you for president, we're going to get this music because I'm going to tell you, you'll love it. You can get your copy of Charlie Daniels' Bo Weevil's Songs in the Key of E, Everywhere Music is Soul, and discover his books, music, and a lot more at charliedaniels.com. Can I say one more thing? Of course, you're Charlie Daniels. You can say anything show. you want to. I cannot come <laughs> on this show and not compliment your band. I have watched your show. I watched it on the road. I watched it. Oh, thank that you. That is a great band. Over I there. agree. <laughs> Trey Corley and the Music City Connection are a great band. No doubt about it. I also want to tell our folks you can learn more about the Journey Home Project, and I hope you will, because Charlie's doing some great work with our veterans, and I hope you'll be a part of it. That you can find out about at thejourneyhomeproject.org. Go ahead, Keith. While Mike and Charlie get ready to play, I want to make sure you jump onto Huckabee.tv after the show for Charlie Daniels' exclusive performance of How We Roll. Now, here to perform Let Them Win or Bring Them Home is Charlie Daniels. <laughs> Say a prayer for Bobby He's somewhere south of Kandahar tonight Ask the Lord to be with him And have his angels to protect him in the fight He's seen a lot of killing Though he's only turned 19 He's a brave American warrior and a Semper Fi Marine. 
But he's got a baby girl at home that he ain't ever seen. Pray for him. Say a prayer for Sally. She's on a C-130 headed out town range. She don't know where she's going, but she knows her young life's just about to change. She wants to serve her country, so she didn't hesitate. Cause in her heart she wanted to be part of something great And so she joined the army on the day she graduated Pray for her Oh America Red, white, blue How many heroes bled and died for you Answered the call and gave it all. And you know they'd proudly do it all again. But now we listen to pundits and fools. And we fight our wars by someone else's rules. But even if we have to stand alone, I say we either let them win or bring them home. Say a prayer for mama. There's someone missing in her family. And say a prayer for daddy. There's a gold star hanging in the family tree. And the grandkids keep on asking, why did daddy go to war? And why won't he be coming home? And what was he fighting for? And they just have to keep on saying, son, you'll understand it better by and by. Say a prayer for Bobby. And either let him win or bring him home. 